Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Roy Hill. we got Benjamin Wolf with us today. Friends a lot to discuss, a lot to go over uh, since we came to you guys a week ago, um, just before 4th of July. Ben, I hope you enjoyed 4th of July because it seems like it's been pretty much nonstop for you ever since. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. I feel like I've said that. I feel like that's been my first few words every time we've done one of these. Like, there's a lot going on. Like, no dub, and it's June and July and Georgia recruiting. Um but yeah, no, there's a lot to talk about, and I apologize for everyone having to wait as well. I had some uh, internet, you know, just tech difficulties that y'all will have to get used to with my acumen um, that just slowed us down a little bit, but excited to get into everything. Between both of us and Kip Adams, there's always either an update that has to be run or something like that. There's never a dull moment. Uh, let's get into what we're going to be discussing a great deal next week, and that is SEC Media Days. We're going to be up there in Nashville uh, covering Georgia and getting a feel for what the other teams in the SEC have going on. And we found out about an hour before we started recording this on Monday who Georgia is going to send to Nashville. It's going to be three players tied in Brock Bowers, center Cedric Van Pran, and cornerback Kamari Laster. Uh, I think it was either the last episode or the episode before that we sort of gave our predictions. And I think, you know, we definitely had that those three guys in our pool of players. It felt like we had maybe – five or six different guys we thought as possibilities. But, Ben, what did you make of the selections that Georgia went with sending these three guys to Nashville? Yeah, I mean, we did this exercise last time, and I, I mean, I think we all had Brock Bowers. I think we said he was about as much of a lock as you could imagine for an SEC Media Day spot. Cedric Van Pran makes plenty of sense. He's the leader. He's the, you know, sort of the signal caller of the offense, if you will. Um, so I think him and everything that he does just in the media made a lot of sense as well, even though he's done it before. And then, um, Kamari Lasseter was someone that was mentioned. I know that we talked about Javon Bullard, Zion Logue, a couple other guys that were possibilities. I think I was grappling with Bullard, Logue and Lasseter, um, and Lasseter makes a lot of sense. Like he's going to be that feature cover corner that we've seen so many times at Georgia. And I think, uh, you know, it's his time to kind of get out there and get his name and voice known a little bit more. Yeah, I think these three players make a whole lot of sense. No surprise, really, between them. I put this on our board. I I think what was most surprising to me was that Javon is not going, but maybe they didn't want to kind of put him in the spotlight as he makes that transition to safety. Or, you know, he was the MVP of the SEC championship game, uh, the defensive MVP, I should say, of the TCU TCU and uh, the – uh, Ohio State game so he got he did a lot of media um, yeah. during the playoffs so maybe they said all right let's give somebody else a little bit of attention and I'm sure and Javon was really good but I'm sure he probably wasn't fighting like hey no I really want to go out in front of these cameras and answer these questions no and I, I'm, I'm excited about it I know you've gotten a chance to talk to Kamari Lasseter a few times and players but I feel like he's someone that is going to be featured so much on this defense and probably hasn't gotten as much conversation you know in the media at times so I think it'll be a good opportunity for him to just get out there no doubt about it and we will be all over it next week up in Nashville and get a chance to see what those guys have to say 
Uh, and what is really the milestone to me of the offseason, once you get to media days, you understand that the season is right around the corner. Uh, to open this podcast, Ben had talked about how busy it's been in the last week, especially so for Georgia. Since the 4th of July, four additions to this recruiting class. On Wednesday, four-star offensive tackle Daniel Calhoun, an in-state product, commits to Georgia. A day later, four-star defensive lineman Joseph Jonah Ajanye also commits. Friday, four-star offensive tackle Nair Daniels commits to Georgia. And then Saturday, to wrap it all up, another four-star offensive tackle Marquise Easley commits to Georgia. Very busy few days for you, Ben, and we'll kind of take these one by one. Let's start with Daniel Calhoun. As I mentioned, an in-state guy decides he is staying put with Georgia. Uh, what do you think about Daniel Calhoun? What did you think of Georgia being able to land this guy, keeping him in the Peach State? Yeah, well, this will be a theme as we go throughout all of these as we talk about what happened in the last week. But starting the week, sort of where you finished last week, getting a really big offensive lineman, that's been really the theme of the week. I think Stacey Searles is the star of the last week and a half when it comes to Georgia recruiting. Um, I mean, I know there's others involved with some of these guys, and we can talk about that too. But in Daniel Calhoun's case, he's the in-state offensive lineman that you just feel like you can't miss. And I think – you know, Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, even to an extent, they made their cases for why they were maybe better fits for Daniel Calhoun than Georgia. I probably bought a little bit more into the Alabama as a real threat than others. But when it came down to it, I think that in-state poll, Georgia knew they had to do what it took to land a guy like Daniel Calhoun. You can't lose that guy out of state. And I think Georgia obviously does a really good job of identifying who are the guys in state that we feel like we really need to land. And then who are the guys out of state that we can then build our class around, you know, elsewhere. And I think that Daniel Calhoun was clearly one of those in-state guys, kind of him and KJ Bolden, the last of the ones in state really that are like, we, Georgia cannot miss on these guys. And I think, you know, to land him, it really sparked what was going to be in a really, really good week for Georgia and offensive line recruiting. Kind of feel like on ESPN when they would throw it to Mel Kuyper and uh, Todd McShay and just say names and just let you get get uh, talking about them. And and we'll do that going on to the next one. Joseph Jonah Ajanye uh, going out and getting a, a very promising defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy I think the upside is limitless with. Like, I think you've even seen his stock rise across various recruiting services over the last year plus. Um you know, he's a defensive lineman from Oak Ridge in Texas, which makes him very important to a lot of folks because Justin Williams is a linebacker that plays there as well. And so we might get into some Justin Williams talk later in the podcast for sure. Um, but with Joseph, this is a guy that came to the United States from Nigeria a little less than a decade ago. He got to Texas four years ago and was not playing football. He was playing, well, it depends how you consider that term. He was playing soccer at the time. He was 6'3", 180 pounds. And when I, you know, obviously I, I know Joseph as a guy that's six foot five, 285, might even be able to play 300 in college and move inside as a three technique, but he's that type of guy. So I'm hearing, oh wait, this guy was a soccer player four years ago. I can't even picture it, but knowing that he's 6'3", 180, like that shows kind of what the growth and progression of Joseph has been over the last four years. I think he's seen a steady improvement and really in the last, you know, six to eight months is when he blossomed, you know, as much as he has since he's been playing in Texas, huge pickup for Georgia. I mean, this is a guy that can play three technique. He can play five technique. I think he'll, he'll probably start out at five technique and a lot of it will just depend on how does his body develop as he gets into Georgia strength and conditioning program, but just an incredible amount of athleticism an incredible amount of strength. 
And uh, yeah, just huge pickup for Trey Scott. Chidero's a, a Deribe also played a huge role in that recruitment as well. Yeah, you see with those defensive linemen how versatile they will be, and it will be very interesting to see his development where he winds up fitting for Georgia. Uh, the big thing I, yeah, I want to add, add one thing too, because you called out the name things is his coach told me this. I probably should verify this, but I'm pretty sure his name, his legal name is Crucifix Joseph Jonah Ajanye. So I, I know I probably should verify that beyond just his coach, but that was a fun fact his coach threw out to me. That that sounds like it could be a, a bestseller when it comes yeah, to absolutely. these jerseys. No doubt yeah. about that. Uh, one of the big themes of the this group, um, for the most part, was the offensive lineman Hall. And you saw that again on Friday night, landing four-star offensive tackle Nair Daniels. Very interesting, you know, a guy out of New Jersey, and I'm sure we'll sort of get into that, some of the um, relationships and, and the push that Georgia had that ultimately landed him and added him to this class. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you learned about Nair's recruitment and then about him on the whole, uh, what you feel like he brings to Georgia. So, I mean, he was someone that I think coming into his official visit in June, people didn't really know what to expect. He wasn't, I mean, he was obviously very high on Georgia's board and radar, but I don't think in terms of the general public, there was this clear, oh, Nair Daniels is someone that Georgia should really, you know, people should be watching out in connection with Georgia. When he left that official visit, it couldn't have done more of a 180. Like it was Georgia is in prime position to land Nair Daniels. I think that Texas is probably the biggest threat to get him. And then when he decided not to take that Texas official visit, I don't want to say it, you know, gave you a pretty simple foreshadowing of what was going to happen on July 7th. But Nair Daniels was pretty much going to be a Georgia Bulldog once that happened. Like once he decided that he was not going down that Texas visit, it was pretty much in hand for Georgia. This is a big guy. And this is, I mean, you talk about Michael Uni, you talk about Daniel Calhoun, you talk about Nair Daniels, you talk about Marquise Easley, who we're about to talk about. These are huge people. I mean, you look at, you're talking 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". We're talking 330 to 360 across the board. Like these guys are massive dudes. And Nair Daniels might be the one with the most just physical potential like in terms of height weight physical overall frame he's the one that when you're looking three years from now what he could truly become I think is really impressive to think about I thought you wrote a really interesting story when it comes to Nair in the state of New Jersey and the job Fran Brown has done really recruiting I mean across the board but especially in the northeast what did you learn just from talking to some of those coaches in New Jersey about the job Fran has done and, and how valuable he's been to the staff no doubt um I mean you basically can't have a conversation with someone that Georgia is recruiting in New Jersey or with their coach and not hear Fran Brown's name mentioned. I mean, that's just the nature of it. He's a New Jersey guy. He's very entrenched in that state. I think that that bleeds to other states in the area as well. I mean, Georgia landed Marcus Harrison out of New York. Fran Brown was involved in that area recruiting. Got Janelle Aguero last cycle out of Connecticut. He was involved in that as well. Or Massachusetts, he was involved in that as well. So, you know, you can't have conversations with people in that area without hearing Fran Brown's name. And I think that that speaks to a big reason why Kirby smart probably hired Fran Brown 18 months ago. You might, you know, if you didn't know his name prior to Kirby smart hiring him, you might've said, well, what, what is it about Fran Brown? Why him? And I think that it's pretty clear now seeing that he is a relentless recruiter and he knows a certain area of the country and the talent within it and the connections needed to be made around it as well as anyone. So, I mean, this cycle, you know, Georgia's added, 
Jordan Thomas, Nair Daniels out of the state of New Jersey. Both of their coaches just raved about what their experiences with Fran Brown have been. Uh, I mean, Nair Daniels coach is really a family friend of Fran Brown. And I, that relationship is obviously going to pay dividends for Fran Brown and Georgia going forward as well, because, you know, Bergen Catholic is a loaded program up there in that state too. I give credit to Steve Wiltfong, one of our national guys. When Fran was hired, I was like, I have no idea who this is. And I'd called Steve and was talking to him about it. And he was highly complimentary. It was like, this is a guy that is going to be a difference maker. And he has been. He's done a very, very good job for Georgia since getting started. Uh, last but not least on Saturday, Marquise Easley. Now, Ben, you had a chance to go up there and, and get a chance to kind of spend a little time with Marquise. What did you take away from getting to talk to him one-on-one and and just getting to learn about him and what you feel like he brings to Athens? Yeah, despite what anybody will say, I didn't just use this as a visit so I could come play Cog Hill yesterday, which I did use it as an opportunity to come play Cog Hill yesterday. Um, But Marquise Easley is, I mean, he's awesome. Like, I mean, I, I think that what George is getting is so much more than just a really talented offensive lineman, which this is a guy that I think could be a, you know, a tackle, the tackle of the future for Georgia. He's tall. He's big. He's long. His arms are crazy long. He's really athletic. I mean, this is a guy and I'm sure people that listen to this will get tired of me saying this over and over again, but I will be a sucker for two sport athletes when guys have real game in another sport. And this is a guy that played AAU basketball. He was, you know, participated in EYBL events in middle school, high school. He's a really good basketball player who really realized that if he wanted to, you know, get where he wanted to go, football was probably his best path. But this is a guy that I think his athleticism gives him all the opportunities in the world to be one of Georgia's best offensive tackles. I also think what stands out to me about Marquise Easley is he's been, I mean, silently committed to Georgia for a really long time. He did not shy away about that after Nitro Tuggle and Dylan Riola committed to Georgia in May. He's really close with Nitro Tuggle there. I mean, he's from Indiana and they played for some seven on seven teams together. They had a really strong relationship. Dylan Riola is obviously in everyone's ear, but he was going to emphasize making sure that he got offensive linemen that were going to keep him upright. And I think that probably has shown itself over the last week or week or so as well. But those two really were the ones pushing in Marquise's ear back in May. And before he even took his official visit in June, he had reached out to Stacey Searles and Kirby Smart to let them know that he wanted to be part of Georgia's class. That confirmation really came from that official visit, but it was an unofficial four-day unofficial visit that he had taken earlier in the spring that really secured him for Georgia. And, um, you know, he's just a really, really good player. I think what stands out to me most about him is – he kind of fits Kirby Smart's personality from the sense of like, you know, when Kirby's on the practice field, he's on the microphone, he's talk, talking trash to people, he's getting in people's ear, like he's not shy, but he obviously takes ball very, 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 very seriously. And everything that he does in his business is very, very important. And he, you know, treats it that way. I think Marquis Easley is the same way. You know, I think that he's someone he likes to have fun. I've talked with Daniel Calhoun, who they have a really good relationship. And Daniel Calhoun talks about how goofy Marquis Easley is, how much fun he likes to have. He likes to talk. And Marquis talked about when he was at spring practices, Kirby was on the mic, sort of giving it to him on the mic while he was at spring practice. And he said that was one of those things that stood out to him that was like, this is someone that I really identify with. I know I can be myself. I can joke. But when it comes to ball, like we're going to take it really, really seriously. And so I just think he's a really good fit for that. 
One of the fun things about being on a message board is when you see old posts uh, start coming up. And one of the things that kept popping up, people were bringing back to mind for some of the users, uh, was there was a lot of uh, criticism when Stacey Searles was hired. And there were a lot of people on the board that were not very thrilled uh, with that decision. You look at what they've done in the last week, and then you look at the 2024 class as a whole. At this point, Georgia's got six offensive linemen committed. What can you say about the job Stacey Searles has done in the 2024 class, making sure that Georgia is in really good shape on the offensive line? Yeah, the Stacey Searles haters are quite quite silent this week. I will say I appreciate the people that have come to the board and been like, you know what, hand up. I was I this is the stuff I was saying a couple of years ago hand up because I mean obviously everyone's gonna anyone who is wants to be critical of him is always still gonna lean on like well we got to see how these guys turn out whatever that might be you get six guys of this caliber in this class you are going to end up with a really good offensive line in the future like that is just the nature of it George is going to evaluate really well but really what I take away from it too is any criticisms that you might have had of any assistant coach from a recruiting standpoint that coached at Georgia 10, 15 years ago, what you're getting from them is going to be an elevated version of themselves in this program as it stands today. Like I know that you heard some of that with Stacey Searles. You hear some of that with Mike Bobo. Georgia's football program is in a place that it was not 10 to 15 years ago. And because of that, any coach that is a good coach, which anybody that Kirby Smart is hiring to be on his staff is going to be of a certain caliber of coach they are going to be elevated compared to what they would have been 10 years ago in the Georgia football program. And that's just one of those things where for future, that's almost a, you know, word of advice for future Kirby smart hires is don't be super judgmental of them when they happen because of preconceived notions you might've had from past experiences, 10, 15 years ago. That's all I'll say. If there's anyone who has earned benefit of the doubt at this point, it's Kirby smart with the hires he's made. Uh, we will take a quick break, talk a little bit more recruiting when we come back, and uh, do a little refresher on our Kirby Smart Greatest Moments uh, bracket that is now on to the Elite Eight. Welcome back, everybody. Well, Ben, I wanted to pull a question from YouTube Bruce Miller had asking about Mike Matthews. Just uh, what can you say about uh, what you've learned about Mike's recruitment and uh, maybe where Georgia stands as they chase after the Parkview playmaker? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I went out and saw Mike Matthews my first week covering Georgia recruiting at the beginning of June. I am unbelievably impressed by him. I think he is one of the best wide receivers in the country. I think that it'll, it remains to be seen, but I think it'll be in the conversation for best wide receiver in the country by the end of a senior season. I think with Georgia wide receiver recruiting, my expectation, and I don't know this for certain, but my expectation is that Georgia will probably try to take four wide receivers in this class. They already have three committed that they feel really, really strongly about. And I think they want to make that big splash with that fourth wide receiver. I think that Mike Matthews is the in-state guy that they definitely want to make that push for that. It's felt as though Tennessee or USC or Clemson might've been favored at times, but because he hasn't committed publicly at least yet to anywhere. I think that it's reasonable to think that Georgia is going to keep pushing. They're going to keep trying because he is an in-state guy that sort of fits into what I said about Daniel Calhoun earlier. There are certain in-state guys you really just want to keep in-house if you can. I think that he's not the only big-time prospect that Georgia is going to be after in this class as that sort of five-star caliber wide receiver that you might be looking for. Obviously, Ohio State wide receiver commit Jeremiah Smith. I know everybody might get up in arms one way or the other if you bring up his name, just about what that might be. But I do think that's someone that Brian McClendon will recruit heavily until December. I, 
I know that he's committed. I know what he said about Brian Hartline in Ohio State, and I still think that I have said here before, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to flipping an Ohio State wide receiver because of their pedigree there. But I'm just saying in terms of who Georgia is going to be putting their efforts towards, you got to put it towards Jeremiah Smith. I also think Cam Coleman, I don't know what kind of effort Georgia will give there now that he is committed to Texas A&M somewhat surprisingly. But it's someone that I think, you know, Georgia's recruited that high school before. It's someone that I think that I'll keep watching, obviously, throughout the year. But I think those three guys are really the big-time flashy names that you'll be looking for for that fourth wide receiver spot. Obviously, if you end up being in a situation where you're able to take two and two of them one in, I'm sure that you don't say no to any of those guys. Um, and then I'm sure there will be a handful of you know, under-the-radar types of guys, sort of the Kyron Joneses of the world. I know he wasn't a wide receiver, but just the Kyron Joneses of the world where you don't really hear about them until the last few weeks because Georgia was monitoring them throughout their whole senior year and then realized, right, this is a guy that's definitely a take. But a lot of that has to do with numbers, which as we see, you know, we're sitting here on July 10th and Georgia already has 26 commitments. So I asked, and we could talk more about a few names that will potentially be in this class. And I start to wonder, like, what number could that possibly get to? Well, let's just jump on right there. 26 commits on July 10th, and maybe not so much about the number they can hit because I think it's going to be sort of a moving target, especially for us outside of the program. But who are the names that you're most interested in watching over these next few weeks and, and potentially months uh, to sort of round out what still stands as the number one class in the country? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'll do a shameless plug wherever. I'll have a, a Stay Woke notebook up later in the day as well that I'll talk a little bit more specifically about like who are the names that I see as still on the board and where things stand with each of them. But I think just listing out the names over the next few weeks or months that are, are really important. Justin Williams, I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about Joseph Jonah Ajanye. You know, high school teammates, very close friends. Joseph Jonah Ajanye has a very high respect level for Justin Williams because Justin Williams was getting recruited when Joseph Jonah Ajanye wasn't. And because coaches were coming out to see Justin Williams, it really put Joseph Jonah Ajanye in the map. And that's a very regular occurrence in recruiting. But, you know, Justin is a really fast, athletic knowledgeable linebacker like he really is everything that Glenn Schumann and Kirby Smart look for in a linebacker so I think watching him over the next maybe week is really an important thing to do um, Williams Wannery is the edge rusher defensive lineman from Lee's Summit Missouri you know I think Georgia Oklahoma and then the in-state school Missouri watch those three I think over the next month is when you'll start to see something there and then the one that I think when we talk about in-state guys and who is just going to be crucially important to everything that Georgia's you know invested into them throughout the course of this recruiting process KJ Bolden the five-star safety out of Buford August 5th commitment date um, you know I like where Georgia sits with KJ Bolden, but I think you just have to wonder why has it not happened yet? You know, what could happen over that last week or so once the contact period or once the dead period is over and guys can go on campus before that August 5th commitment date? Like what happens? Are there any concerns that Georgia would have there? I don't personally expect it, but it's definitely something to watch. Craig Lawson with a good point talking about scholarship numbers. Not only, you know, you have NIL that you can work in with players, but two, several of the players these last few classes, Georgia has had them walk on initially and then come on scholarship in that second year. So you can get very creative when it comes to this scholarship numbers. I know last year we were sort of circling three or four different players. And like, okay, this guy could be a walk on or it could be this other guy. 
they are very creative when it comes to making the numbers work. So have no doubt if they've got some of these high caliber players that they've got a really good shot at, they're going to find a way to make it work. And I also think this is proof of, I mean, I think Kirby smart is sort of zigging when others are zagging. Like I think that a lot of people are leaning on the portal. They think that the portal is where they can build their roster because you're getting older, more experienced, more physical guys. And I think that Kirby smart really sees the value of building your program from the ground up, getting guys in. Obviously you're not going to retain everybody that comes on campus. So building, you know, high freshman year numbers and then, you know, sort of weeding some of that out is probably, you know, a different approach than some have, but it's proven and Kirby smart continues to live by it. So. Kirby's talked quite a bit about relying on high school recruiting and basically just picking where you've got needs through the portal. Uh, you saw two years ago they didn't get anybody from the portal, and they got three this year. So I think to this point it's hard to argue with that strategy. I think it has served Georgia really well. Speaking of Kirby Smart, our bracket has moved on to the next round. Uh, the greatest moments of the Kirby Smart era at Georgia were down to eight plays. Uh, the first uh, matchup went up earlier on Monday. Uh, between the Keeley Ringo pick six against Alabama and the Jalen Carter uh, play against Jaden Daniels, where he picked him up in that SEC championship game. Uh, what have you thought, Ben, of how uh, this bracket has fallen so far? I know you're holding out. i uh, got some snubs that you're going to let us in on a little bit mm -hmm. later on. Um, but, you know, it was almost pretty much chalk in that first Sweet 16 round, other than uh, Kenny McIntosh's trick play against the Orange Bowl. Uh, wind up knocking out probably a moment Kirby uh, didn't want uh, on the bracket with the the f bomb after beating Auburn. Um, but what do you make of uh, how things have gone so far as we uh, whittle it down? And before long, we'll be talking about this Final Four. Yeah, I mean it was pretty chalk. I was I'm I'm curious. I've said it last time. I'm curious to see like it, can someone beat out Keeley's pick six from the percentages from the first round matchups. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be tough, but. You never know if people getting, you know, start getting on there and pleading their case for certain other moments. Who's to say you've got a play you really like go on there. We've got a few different ways you can vote. Uh, and the start of this week, we will roll out each of the four matchups getting through the elite eight. I will say one thing that it did make me feel pretty good on seeding this because I was like, man, I'm going to look really stupid if there's like a one seed that just gets blown out of the water. But uh, the nice thing with these last few years is there's a, a pretty good number of plays where you don't have to debate you go yeah that that's pretty clearly a number one seed yeah the the moment and i, I don't want to tease my snubs but i mean the moment that i think could have well i don't know i'd be curious to know what people think but i think chris smith's pick six against clemson is one of the more under talked about moments and just i mean in georgia history because of what it turned into but i mean you look at where that game was at that point in time and the play and how important it was to win that game which was not an easy game um you know, you at the time, I mean, I know we can all do revisionist history and say, well, Georgia won two national championships. Georgia's the most dominant program in the country. And like, that is the case. But when it was three zero in the Clemson game, it did not feel as though Georgia was the most dominant program in the country. So, you know, that Chris Smith play, I think, just goes super underappreciated. It, it definitely deserves a lot of hype. And what was cool about the whole of that season, that was their first touchdown of the season. And then Keeley's pick six is the last touchdown. So pretty neat to see the defense kind of book in the yeah, way that season cool. fell. I love that. Definitely. Well, uh, Georgia men's basketball minute. This one will be really quick. Expecting to get a media availability later this week with Mike White and probably a few players as they get ready to go to Italy to play 
Um, and I think that's going to be a very interesting trip, a team that looks quite different than it did a year ago, get a little chance to bond. And something that Mike White told us at spring meetings that's really helpful is just the practices they get before they go over there. So we'll be really interesting to hear from Mike, see how this team is vibing, how it's coming together. And I think there's a chance we're going to get to watch a little bit of practice. So that's going to be fun to see what this team looks like. Uh, ben, I know you've had your hands full on the football side, but I know that you very much enjoy basketball. Uh, what do you make of just this group as they get ready for year two with, uh, with Mike White? Well, the, what I make of it is this is the first I was hearing that there might be an open basketball practice. How, what, how, am I invited on that list or is that an exclusive list? If you're in town, come on, buddy. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm excited to see obviously much different roster than it was last year. So I think that's the nature of college basketball today is what your roster looked like today is not what it looked like yesterday. So I think seeing just how all the pieces kind of work together. I know there's some, you know, remaining parts that I'm excited to see how they sort of fit into everything, but this new recruiting class, obviously there was a lot of guys and I think seeing how they fit into everything is probably what I'm most curious about. Definitely going to be worth watching, and uh, we'll have some men's basketball content out of that and should have another busy week uh, when it comes to Georgia football. So we're going to wrap up this episode right there. Again, make sure to go to the site this week as we roll out uh, those remaining matchups in the Elite Eight for the Kirby Smart bracket. Uh, definitely a fun one. Great to see a lot of feedback and a lot of people voting, a lot of people saying, ah, well, you should have had this play here or this play there. It's always good to get people – uh, invested because that's been fun to see so we're going to wrap up the episode there thanks for ben, thanks to ben for popping on with me thanks for everyone who watched this live and for everyone who is watching or listening to it after the fact we are done there everybody until next time take care